look in the blink of an eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies, beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down, and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews, Blink of an Eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything. Episode 34, Death Be Gone, Part 2. Hey, everyone. We are raising the vibration for trauma healing when we listen in together. Do you think we're lifting the energy vibration for healing? Oh, yes, we are. Mm-mm. Do you feel it? <laughs> Take it in. Mm-hmm. It's hard to believe. This is our last episode in season one. Thank you for journeying with me so far. We're taking a break to produce episodes for season two. Now feels like a good time to take a pause. At the end of Archer's first week in the intensive care unit and before the Archer blogs began to be posted. Season one has been the background for all future seasons. Never before been shared notes and entries and internal thoughts on the actual experience. When we begin season two, it will consist of daily Facebook posts I made in real time that almost 50,000 people a day were reading to help me create an energy field of healing. For Archer. Never underestimate the power of collective intention and prayer. So when we come back, you will experience with me that story, those postings read aloud now, but this time with behind the scenes interviews and the trauma healing learnings as we learn and discern and heal together. Every individual trauma is always linked to a collective past trauma. We have much to look forward to. I also will be taking a pause for a little self-care. While it's been so healing for me to revisit these events of five years ago, it's also had its moments of being emotionally draining, and I want to avoid burnout But this feed won't quiet in the meantime. We're putting together some bonus episodes for you, including more interviews and montages of people who have been a big part of Archer's story. So stay tuned. You know, these people have been so important in our lives, and I'm excited that you'll get to know them better too. And then I'll be back for season two with the story and the trauma healing learnings. You'll have a chance to take in the story on Wednesdays and let it simmer before we really take those lessons and questions to the next level in the trauma healing learnings, which we will release on Saturdays. 
You'll also want to be sure to follow us on social media. We're adding more trauma healing resources and behind the scenes stuff. And I think you'll find that it adds to what we're doing on the podcast. We're on Instagram and Facebook at Blink of an Eye Podcast and Twitter at Blink of an Eye Pod. I'll remind you of those handles at the end of the episode, but I want to make sure they're on your radar since I haven't talked about social media much lately. Okay. Whew. I have really, really felt you walking with me this season as I shared with you my story of how our first week in the Atlantic Care Intensive Care Unit unfolded. I know I've said that before, but it truly has meant a lot to know you are here in spirit. Well, there is more. You know, I thought about calling this episode, Devil Be Gone. I did. We're about to dive a little further into a subject that might upset you when things go wrong that shouldn't go wrong in hospitals. They are upsetting events for families, and they're upsetting for medical practitioners, too. The truth is, medical errors or unexpected events happen at an alarming rate in hospitals. They do. I know for some of you, I don't even need to tell you that. You know that's true. But another part of the medical error truth, many medical errors go undetected by families. We are a living testimony to that fact. And some errors can be easily corrected or don't actually cause harm. But that isn't always the case. Some do cause harm. Others can't be fixed, at least not fully. That's another part of the truth. And I actually knew that from my mediation work. If you or a loved one has ever had the experience where something goes really wrong in a hospital, please be mindful that this episode may affect you more than others. I want you to take care of yourself. I know episode 31 was upsetting for many folks. Understandably, it was upsetting for me too. That episode was about what happened the day before in the story, when Archer suddenly was in so much pain, agonizing pressure in his head. Yeah, the silent scream for hours. It was awful. And there were so many questions about what had happened and why it had happened. And for me, my questions were, will Archer be all right? And it caused me to reflect on so many things that we did together in episode 33, Death Be Gone, part one. In this episode, Death Be Gone, part two, we will focus on the event and its impact 
and the hospital response and that impact. There really are two sides to the medical error coin. The first side is attending to the patient, making sure they are all right, and the hospital figuring out what happened. The other side is attending to the family and making sure they are all right, and the hospital's response to the patient and family about what happened. We hold medical institutions to the highest standards. And on one hand, we should. On the other hand, no one's perfect. It's tricky. Well, you can decide for yourself in this episode. And when we pick up in season two, how you feel about the subject of medical errors. We'll continue this conversation, which I know is controversial, in season two. And we'll focus even more on the intensity for any family in a trauma ICU. What you can prepare for, what you can advocate for, what it's like for medical staff, and how to consider developing compassion for both yourself and for medical staff, and ways to be strong with effective interaction. Maybe there are ways you haven't thought about before, especially when things are not good. I also welcome back to our story, Dr. Raymond Tolucci, the Chief of Trauma at Atlantic Care. <laughs> Shout out to you, Dr. Chalucci, for your willingness to continue more interviews. Well, where we are now in the blink of an eye story, I am wondering about human resistance to speaking the truth and to telling the truth and to saying, I'm sorry. Join me as we consider this and begin to explore why. It will form the bridge into season two, where I will also introduce you to a body of work on trauma healing regarding how we think and how our thoughts become beliefs. Let's get ready to think more deeply about these topics today through the story and in future episodes as it relates to trauma healing and I will cover them in the accompanying Trauma Healing Learnings episode as well, which you can listen to right here in the Blink of an Eye podcast feed. Okay. Mm, so much to cover. Okay. For today, for our last episode of season one, sit back, settle your spirit wherever you are, take in a breath, find a place that's quiet. Here we go. August 13th, day nine, Thursday. Life can change 
in the blink of an eye. The nurses had finished their rounds with Archer. He was rotated and turned very gingerly as he was slowly recovering, still fragile. I checked all the tubes coming out of his body and they looked like they were not kinked or pulling on his skin. It has been such an ordeal today. The corners of his mouth were still downturned, but we made it. He amazed me how strong he was to endure whatever it was that caused that silent scream episode. I was so grateful for his endurance. I really don't know how he was doing it. Oh, please give him strength, Lord. Continued strength. All was calm, and Archer's room was finally peaceful. It had been a long, long day. <laughs> I think it was around 1.30 a.m. when I finally dozed off. And then it happened. All hell broke loose. The shrill alarm sounding, clamoring in the hallway and in our room. I bolted up. Archer's monitors were quiet, but something was terribly wrong. Oh, my God. I raced for the door just as staff were rushing into the room. I didn't know what it was all about. Three nurses checked the monitors and checked Archer and then yelled, cardiac arrest, and barked another order. The hospital sound system in the hallway blared, code blue. It was chaos. Pray, Louise. I instinctively reached for my phone and sent out a message to my family. It was 3.43 a.m. and the message read, Oh my God, wherever you are, wake up and pray. Pray with all your heart. Archer is in cardiac arrest. There was a lot of commotion. Archer's eyes were wild. His teeth were clenched, clamping down on his breathing tube again. They shocked Archer with a little machine. It was ghastly. His body writhed. Everyone in the room was quiet, staring at the monitors to watch. But there was nothing. They sent those bolts through him again like he was a stick of dynamite they were open to ignite. Nothing. Someone yelled, resuscitation failure. And Archer seemed gone. There was so much commotion. And people were pumping into each other. It was so noisy. Staff was running in. Someone had a large canister of oxygen. Two men were pressing on his chest. A doctor rushed in and there were orders. And what seemed like seconds later, another team of four large, strong men bolted into Archer's room, wheeling a huge cart laden with big, bulky stuff, like a huge black hard plastic box of electrical equipment with dials and a huge cup, big rubber suction cups and handles and tubes and things I'd never laid my eyes on before. And I began to pray with all my heart. We were all watching intently, and I was praying, please, Lord, let this pass. Protect Archer. He wants to live. He wants to live, Lord. Please, please let him live. Three more men grabbed Archer, 
and rolled him on his side, perpendicular to the bed, and I cringed because he had all those ventilator breathing tubes and three chest tubes, any one of which could be yanked out and cause his skin to rip. Oh, please, God, please help them be careful. Help them know what they're doing. Two of the men swiftly turned Archer up on his side, longwise facing away from them while two others took out baseball bat like flat paddles it took him from the cart and literally began to beat archer on his back hard they were screaming archer wake up bam archer wake up bam wake up as they alternated beating him rhythmically oh I watched, I watched the monitors. I could not see Archer's face. I was frozen. I didn't want to be in their way. The doctor was the acting chief of the trauma unit, Dr. Kelly Wilhelm. But I did not know that then. She was standing next to me. She said nothing. There were so many people rushing around. It was loud and chaotic. She was watching intently. I had no idea who she was, but she looked faintly familiar. She was younger. I felt her presence. She just watched. And I realized that is what I was to do as well. It was like watching chaos on a movie screen from another world, a horror world. We were watching. It was like we were in our living room. Was this death? Oh, please, Lord. This is not how it's supposed to be. Archer's not supposed to die, Lord. You have a covenant with him. I hadn't seen the young athletic woman pull over the small chair from the other side of the room but she must have, as I was frozen, watching. She just sat next to me, where I teetered on the edge of the plastic recliner chair. Frozen. All I could do was stare at Archer, the monitors, and watch. Helpless. His long body would flail like a rag doll every time they electrocuted him or whatever that machine was doing. Oh, please, Archer. His heart rate was bouncing everywhere wildly from the 30s into the 90s. I had never seen anything like it. And then it all went to zero. There was zero. On the monitors, there was nothing on them. All those crazy lines were flat. Oh, my God. They beat him again, and they screamed louder, Archer, wake up! I was crazed watching it all, and I began to pray out loud fervently, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. 
I remember Dr. Willem's large plastic sports watch with a large face that glowed in the dim room. I felt her presence next to me. I felt her joining me in my will for Archer's heart to begin to beat. I wanted to touch her arm. I wanted to clutch her arm. She was perfectly still, watching with me straight ahead. The scene. I realized she was also watching her watch. The minute hand was sweeping the face of her watch. Time was moving. It was so chaotic and so slow. I watched the second hand on her watch, too. I watched the men screaming, beating him, suction cupping him. The team was now jamming huge suction cups on both Archer's chest and his back, then manhandling the pressure to push and use suction to try to trigger, I guess, an electrical impulse needed to start his heart. The monitors were still flat. The men screamed at Archer over and over, and the staff barked orders to each other, shouting the names of different medications. Archer was not responsive. I had never been in a situation like this before. I was panicking, and I was not. I was very, very aware that I had no idea what I was to do. I was empty. Please, Lord. I pray. I felt removed. Please, Lord, show me the way. Tell me what I am to do. I felt uninvolved, disconnected. Something was wrong, and I was useless. I had the strangest experience of not existing in that moment? Was this a heart attack? Why was this happening? I opened my mouth. Archer! I screamed instinctively. You will have a good life. We love you. I got on my feet. My legs buckled. I sat back down. I think Dr. Wilhelm reached out to steady me. I'm not sure, but I felt her closeness. I never looked at her as I didn't want to take my eyes off the room. And Archer, I had to remember this, I told myself. I have to look around. I felt her presence with me at the soul level. I felt her sisterhood with me. I did. I looked around the room. All the chaos, all the screaming. I watched Dr. Willem's watch one second after the next as it swept past 12 again. But I began to sense the room. I could sense Dr. Willem and that she was counting the numbers, the numbers of times the hand swept around the 12. 
seemed to go on forever. I sensed the fatigue of the large men slapping Archer's back and yelling at him. I sensed time might be up. I had been staring at the monitors so hard. I thought my eyes might burn a hole through them. I was trying to will them to show me Archer's heartbeat, but the lines remained flat and motionless. The little wavy lines and squiggles of heartbeat, blood pressure, other indicators of life that were all normally on the many screens. They were all gone. It was eerily still. Archer Sapped, open your eyes! I demanded from my chair. I opened my eyes wide. I saw the whole room, the whole scene, and I felt evil in that room. I sensed it, I did, I felt it. I was praying out loud fervently, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. I watched the second hand on Dr. Williams' large watch go around again. It had been six full times around. I could tell the big men pounding on Archer were getting tired and the monitors had not changed and it was eerily quiet. No! I looked up and scanned the room and there it was. I sensed the evil. It was a dark, fog-like cloud entering that room with an eerie green color to it. It was literally heading towards Archer. I could see it. You might think crazy, but it was there. I knew it like I had seen it before. It flashed through my mind that it was the exact same eerie color green lightning. As it cracks the sky, I jumped up like a crazy woman and I yelled, no, death be gone. I was like a banshee. I flung my hands as if I were fighting that fog to get it away from my son. Move, no, as I waved my hands frantically in the air, slicing that cloud as I raced around the room. I dipped in and out of all the corners of that room, screaming, devil, devil, depart this room. Get out. We will have life. Wake up, Archer. The room was still. The men stopped. The paddles stopped. I stopped. Our world stopped. And then one of the monitors gave the faintest 
little beep. All eyes turned to see a tiny bleep of Archer's heart. Blip. I could feel the tension in the air, but it was different air. We continued to watch in dead silence, and there was another faint little blip, and then another blip, and it was faint, but he came back. Oh, God. Thank you. He is back. Thank you. Thank you. The medical team whipped into action again to work on him. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I know he's not supposed to die this way. You have a covenant with him. I was sort of numb, but I was also very sturdy, like a feeling of solid. My feet were on the ground. I could feel them on the ground. I was standing. He was alive. I sat in a small chair Dr. Wilhelm had pulled up. I was sitting far back to allow the medical team total room to do whatever they needed, anything they needed, as they worked hard and furiously and then waited and watched, just like I was, waiting and watching Archer trying to recover. I know he has the will to live. I looked at his body was ravaged. They had turned him back over. His jaw was locked as if it were clamped down on his breathing tube again, just like he had done yesterday in the silent scream and again, right before he flatlined. It had scared me that he was doing that because I thought at first it might be Archer trying to cut off his only source of life, the oxygen. But I came to see it differently now. It was Archer's attempt, the only thing he could still do, to cut the excruciating pain. But his jaw was locked in that haunting position. I watched them try to release it, but it was like steel. They jammed something in his arm like they were stabbing him. It was done so fast and so furious. God. My boy was back. That's all I knew. It's hard to say, and I may never know for sure what actually happened. But that was far from my mind. Five years later, I found notes in my phone from this day. I remember them exactly as if I were writing them again.
I found two sets of notes, actually. They were all to my family. Some said sent at the end, and others said not sent or personal. Here they are. 8.13.15, day 9, Thursday, 5.15 a.m. Archer went into cardiac arrest at 3.45 today as I watched his heartbeat drop to zero, and he was not reachable. I know he could hear me. He can have a good life. We will help him have a good life. Oh, God, please, God, deliver us from this. Please pray that Archer has the will to live. Please keep us in your prayers and pray to the Blessed Mother Mary. She always listens. Sent. When the medical staff rested from trying to keep stimulating Archer's heart, at least that's what I think they were trying to do, another medical team would come. I think as a relief team, the men were sweaty. The room looked like a tornado hit it. I walked around the workers and threw open the shades to bring in the sun from the new break of day. Light will always push out evil. It was still so tense in the room, but it was like we were all in this together. His monitor showed he was alive, but there was little else. I walked carefully towards Archer's bed murmuring to staff to receive assurances that it was all right that I approach him. I felt oddly calm. Hello, darling. He did not respond. I gently kissed his cheek. But then I began to weep. It was just too much. I stepped back as the medical team surrounded him. There was still a great deal of activity. It was no longer loud and frenetic, but it was, I don't know, still heavy. I prayed with single pointedness that Archer would stay sustained with the will to live. Please, Archer. And I prayed for the medical team. Dr. Wilhelm, I'm not sure where she went, but this is the morning that I met the chief of trauma, Dr. Raymond Tolucci. Archer still had not responded after another hour. Dr. Tolucci had arrived and came in to tell me that Archer was, he said, not turning the corner, even though the machines were doing all they could. I felt numb and sort of detached again. What did that mean? This is the text message I sent to my friends. 
Archer went into cardiac arrest at 3.45 a.m. I pray for every parent that you never experience that. No goodbyes. No way to tell him even more of what is in my heart. And medical team deathly quiet, waiting to see if modern magic will be enough. He's very fragile and, quote, not turning the corner, end quote. But the machines are working, and his body is allowing them. I see the sadness and despair in the shape of his mouth. And when I see that, all his signs go low. They go up a little, and then they go low. He needs to believe. He has believed. I worry that he is waning in the will and belief, and it is manifesting this way. He won't let up on biting, clamping down his ventilator tube. Please, Lord, grant him the will to live. Sent. I felt this strong need to be cheek to cheek with Archer, just like we were in the operating room the night of his injury. I asked permission to approach him again as the team remained intensely adjusting and watching and waiting. I got up close to Archer. I leaned in very gently. Hello, darling. It's Mama. Oh, God, I just wanted to hold my baby. Please, please come back to us, Arch. As I felt the warmth of his cheek, I felt stronger. He was alive. Archer, I whispered in his good ear. You are going to have a good life. You are. I promise. We are here with you and always will be. We are going to have a good life together, all of us. I know you can hear me, Archer. I love you so much. We all love you so much. Dad and Paula and Pete and Dewey, and Dutch. God has a plan for you, Arch. You have been through so much. You are a hero. You will do great things in your life, Archer. Come back to us. Use your imagination, Archer. Come back soon. His return was very slow and fragile. But he opened his eyes. We had our boy back. Our lion-hearted boy. I just have to take in a breath right now, you know. 
we could close on this and with gratitude for life. But I thought you might be interested in knowing in my interview with Dr. Tolucci. I asked about this situation, what he recalled, and we reflected back five years later on the experience our family had at Atlantic Care in 2015. Here is an excerpt. Is there anything else that you would want um, families or others in trauma to know um, or to understand from your vantage point? I think there's just that, you know, that everyone does care and they care deeply. And everyone is uh, individually affected in their own ways of, of, of good outcomes and, and poor outcomes. And that, um, and just the respect that, uh, that, that the healthcare team comes in there every day and exposes themselves to unknown perils. And, and, and that's, what, that's what makes us who we are. That's it, really. It's just that we like to be appreciated for the things we've done and, uh, and forgiven for the mistakes we do. Anyway, that's about it. This interview actually opens the door for me to seek answers I never got. But I hope I will in future interviews. As we close this episode, this first week at Atlantic Care, I wanted to share with you a couple other text messages and notes I wrote throughout the rest of that horrendous morning and day of day nine to illustrate what it is like when something has gone wrong and there is no communication about it with the patient and family from the hospital. It greatly added to our suffering and prolonged the opportunity for the start of some emotional healing that could have begun that day. Private note, noon. We don't know what happened. The worst part, no one even acknowledged how in the F world did our son flatline. He is healthy. Private note, 3.30 p.m. Lion's heart. Even staff commented on his strong heart. They couldn't understand his heart. Low, bracardial, they say. I looked it up. Just means healthy and slow. My blood pressure runs a tad low, too. Nothing is wrong with Archer's heart. Oh, God, please hear my prayer that Archer is not damaged now. I feel they are not telling me something. I sense it. All I really wanted most of all was to hear, I am sorry. It's much easier to forgive when there has been a recognition of a wrong. I also know we can't wait around for others to say they are sorry, as their unwillingness to be vulnerable will just hold us back in our own trauma healing. 
But oh my goodness, if doctors and nurses and their risk departments ever knew how much easier it would be for patients to forgive them if they just said genuinely, I am sorry. (laughs) I had a feeling the rest of that day, day nine, that something had gone wrong. It was then that I began to wonder if it is possible to forgive others for grave mistakes and still seek answers and accountability. I thought it was, and I still think it is. I want to forgive others, don't you? Even when the harm is grave and an archer's case fatal, at least for six or more minutes. There's so much to unpack here. It's hard. Another facet to the trauma healing lens is forgiveness and what we understand about forgiveness. It's harder to forgive when you don't know what exactly you are forgiving. I think that is why as a little girl in preparation for confession, we were taught as kids to be very specific about what we had done and ask for forgiveness. Gosh, whenever I did that examination, even as a child, I felt so much lighter. Like just naming it brought it into the light. Well, it was the forgiveness that followed that really brought that feeling of light. Institutional forgiveness. Professional forgiveness. Personal forgiveness. We will explore all that next season. Stay tuned. In my interview with Dr. Tolucci, when he said, all medical personnel just want to be appreciated for the things they've done and forgiven for their mistakes, I responded to Dr. Tolucci. Isn't isn't that really what we all want as human beings? Yes. No, absolutely. No one's perfect. No. No one's perfect. And no one is perfect. But back in Archer's hospital room, the long day of no one telling us anything was wearying. Billy was trying desperately to get back to New Jersey. Archer was far from fully recovered as all his vitals were weak. Heart rate, blood pressure, oxygen. I tried to keep the room as peaceful as possible for Archer to really rest. I read a flurry of texts from prayer warriors. And I prayed. And I wrote. I went to pursue a copy of Archer's medical records from the medical records office. I was told they would not be released until after we had been discharged, and it would be about 30 days after that. I felt so imprisoned and frustrated, and I felt deflated. I just wanted to understand. All I knew was that they said he had gone into cardiac arrest. 
It was around this time in the afternoon when I first thought, did something go wrong? All this no talking and secretiveness was making me suspicious. I asked for a meeting, a family meeting, with the head of the unit. I began to feel there must have been a medical error. I don't know. But I also did not know. I was in the dark. And I was not trusting myself. Groping in the dark for something I thought was there. Thought was there. You know what I mean? But you know what? Something I did not have to question or go in search of. A divine presence. I knew I was struggling. I also knew I was not alone. And that brought all the difference. Here are two final texts sent to family and friends. 8.30 p.m. I continue to search for answers to why knowing God has a plan. Today I pondered maybe one of the whys for this tragic accident is the opportunity we have to respond with unity, the love we can bring each other. Your prayers for Archer, for me, for Billy and me, for our family, are being heard. Oh, Lord, please bless each one of these dear people for being so kind and generous with their love and taking the time to pray for us. Sent. And here is the last text to my family and friends. Midnight. Oh, what you are bringing to us. Prayers. Specific prayers. Please pray to the Blessed Mother and give someone a boost, a hug, a small kindness. Even Archer, in his motionless state, with no sensation in or ability to use his arms and hands, knows the love of hugs, as we know from his first hours post-surgery, when he asked Pete to hug him, and he wanted to hug James. There may be times when we need some help wrapping our arms around each other, or times when we can be the help to lift someone's arms around us. We do truly need each other. Love, it's a very symbiotic chemical, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual thing. We are gladdened to be alive to experience it. Good night, dear friends and family. I love you so much. Please keep praying. St. Peregrine intervened for us today. Amen. As Billy used to say to all of us when we were younger, and our children were so much smaller. 
group hug. And please pray to the Blessed Mother who always listens. Amen. Sent. Life can change in the blink of an eye. I hope you have enjoyed this blink of an eye story in season one. We never know what is in store for us around each corner of each day. But we do know we are never alone. Help us, God, to always know you are with us through it all. Let us give thanks for life, for the life we have. As we live through the ups and downs, let's try to live as fully as we can with the time we have as one. If you're in a low time or a confusing time, it's never too late to start a dialogue with God. <laughs> I have a friend who calls God joy. Joy made a covenant with us to never leave us. Even in our darkest hour, and even when we are a hot mess, it's the best relationship we'll ever have. And it's eternal. With the companion episodes, Death Be Gone Part 1 and Part 2, and their accompanying trauma healing learnings, we are ending Season 1. We will launch the first episode of Season 2 in early summer. This will give you time to catch up or go back to your favorite trauma healing learnings. Please make sure you subscribe to Blink of an Eye podcast wherever you get your podcasts to stay connected to us. In the meantime, we'll be releasing bonus episodes as well as more resources and behind-the-scenes features on our social media. Find us at Blink of an Eye podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Blink of an Eye pod on Twitter. We also have a website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com. All the links to our social media accounts are there if you aren't in a place now where you can write them down. We read every single comment you write to us on our website and social media accounts. So please feel free to engage with us there. Or you can email me directly at Louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. When season two starts, we'll be back with weekly episodes picking up Archer's story where we're leaving off today and exploring deeper understanding of trauma, trauma healing, forgiveness in healing, a 360 degree look at medical error and I'm sorry, how to advocate for your loved one in an ICU. Hope in the face of life-altering change, faith, accidents, spirituality, different dimensions, family dynamics, and always with questions for you to ponder for your own life. Thank you, dear listeners. Together, 
we are raising the vibration for greater trauma healing and what is possible. If the Blink of an Eye story has been meaningful or helpful to you, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, because that really helps new listeners find us. I can't wait to be with you next season. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. This episode is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. For 28 years, Baltimore Mediation has served clients worldwide by facilitating negotiation breakthroughs, believing in their capacity for meaningful face-to-face dialogue as they work through difficult, emotional, and complicated family, divorce, and family business situations. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Please subscribe via email on our site, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Listen. 